Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Movie Madness with me, your host, Khalil Jamal. For this week's podcast, you're about to hear an interview I did with another body director, Sophie Compton and Ruben Hamlin. Their doc will be playing in theaters on November 10th, and they will be doing a Q&A on the 13th at the Ted Rogers Hot Docs Theater. You can also check out my review of Another Body on the CB Media Network YouTube channel and all the podcast apps in this on the CB Media Network feed, all of which are of course linked in the description below. Finally, if you're on, uh, if you go to our Instagram at comicboys underscore, you can enter our Oppenheimer giveaway where you have a chance to win a copy of the Blu-ray of one of the better half of Barbenheimer when it releases on November 21st. Thank you and enjoy the interview. Hello everyone. So I'm joined by the two directors of Another Body, which is a documentary. A documentary, by the way, which really messed with my head in a lot of ways. So I'm really excited to have you guys here. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. <laughs> we've got used to that as an introduction. It's like, thank you for your film, but also you've <laughs> that was intense. I think we thought that we were making um, an uplifting story about women taking back the power against all the odds. And then it turns out that we made a horror film, which came out of a Halloween. <laughs> and it being Halloween today, I think this is a very fitting thing to talk about. Uh, so the first thing I have to ask you is what made you want to tell the story? Because, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things going on in the world. This is a very interesting kind of thing to you know want to explore so what was it that drew you to this well i, I think when defect technology first emerged um everyone was talking about the end of democracy uh uh the fact that defect technologies will mean we'll never have a fair election again in the future that defect technology is going to cause nuclear armageddon and we just didn't see that happening at that point in time these threats were maybe possible but they were speculative uh, but what was clear is that it was being used on a very, the technology was being used on a very wide scale to target women. Uh, but this was happening outside of, you know, the public awareness. And so we knew it was an important story. We knew it was important. That would be a story that would be very interesting to tell in the documentary form. Um, and so we decided to sort of start researching. And when we came across Taylor, who inspired us? We just knew we knew that we we had um, uh, an amazing subject, and started to pursue it. Um, yeah, I guess at that point in time we didn't know where the story would go because it was so early on. We didn't know we'd end up with a roller coaster that um, ultimately transpired. But yeah, yeah, I think for me also like delving into these forums on 4chan and spaces online where deepfakes are being made and created was so terrifying but then also like it really fired us up to do something about this and it's like you're giving access into the locker room where all of the things that you hope are not being said are being said and you get to see them which is disturbing but I just feel so passionately that if we turn away and don't look at some of the more horrible things that are happening in the world, it creates, um, you know, it, it creates a safety blanket for the people that are doing these things to get away with it. So yeah, we just got on a mission to fight them. So I think that kind of brings up an interesting thing. So when I finished watching this, I'm fully transparent here, I was kind of a little bit skeptical, I guess, of the scale of the findings from the documentary. So I went to Reddit and I just kind of was scrolling just to see like, okay, 
is this like a real thing? Turns out after 10 seconds, I figured it was a bigger problem than I even realized. So was there a point where you kind of said, oh, wow, the scale of this kind of like, it's not even that hidden in like, it's not even hidden. It's like right there. It's really easy to find and kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I guess the, or I think we were always like aware of, of to some degree of the, the scale of it. I think what surprised us was the amount of, of private citizens that were being targeted. At the beginning, we were very aware of, of you know, celebrity deep fakes or, you know, deep fakes of YouTubers or women in the public eye. But this, the number of, of, of deep fakes that were being, uh, were made of people's classmates or exes or teachers or whatever really, really shocked us. And not just that, but the accessibility of it, the fact that there were these for, like forums where people were advertising um, to uh, advertising their ability to sort of make deep fakes. They're like asking for offering like commission deep fakes where they'd be like, send me uh, some footage of your ex and I'll put her into deep fake pornography for you. And so I think what was really shocking to us was the fact that this was a business. People were um, using this, this, this skill to start like a whole enterprise where they would um, be creating non-consensual deep fake pornography of, 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 uh, private citizens or the customers sort of like you know relatives yeah yeah like when we started this was a fringe phenomenon but over the last four years we really have seen it go mainstream so like the biggest deepfake porn website is getting 14 million hits a month and there are that is one of many like hundreds um and people are making money off of this and the other thing you know i think is Interesting that you bring up how accessible it is. And I think when we think of the internet, we don't often remember that we are being funneled to most of the sites that we go to. We're going through Google or we're using an internet service provider or we're clicking a link. Like there are, we don't just end up on the like on the internet with no guidance. And Google is a, a company that we think has a huge responsibility over what's happening. Because if you Google um, like how to harm a cat, for example, Google has harmful content policies and it will basically try and dissuade the user from doing that. So it will be like animal, animal abuse charities or you know, reasons why you shouldn't harm your pets, etc. If you Google how to make a deepfake of my girlfriend, it will give you tutorial after tutorial and it will direct you straight to deepfake porn pages. That is a choice that is made by deep, by by Google. Like the accessibility of these sites is a, is a choice. And the fact that culturally we haven't got a grip on this problem and there are no laws in place means that these sites have been allowed to just balloon and really explode in their number. And you know, just following on from that, what really surprised me, the uh, last week uh, I Googled watch another body online just to see what would come up. And what Google directed me to, after the initial link to watch another body off film, that was one search result. Then after that was a series of YouTube videos, which are tutorials of how to make deep fakes. Some of them explicitly how to make deep fake pornography. After that was a series of e easy uh, to download user-friendly apps where you could make deep fake pornography. In my search terms was no reference to the word deep fake, just watch another body film. And Google is directing people towards uh, ways of, of participating in this harmful culture. That feels like another documentary idea is why Google is doing this. <laughs> so the other part of the other part of this, I guess, is what was kind of surprising, I think, about halfway through the documentary when you realize this isn't even a real well, like the person who we see and who we're hearing is not a real person. It's a deep fake person or a deep fake on top of a person, right? And obviously that 
because you know when I was first watching I was like how did you get the like they must have been so willing to like you know share this stuff and then I realized oh wait it isn't so what was that like not only getting kind of like dealing with those privacy things but actually basically creating another person and then also creating a lot of that same content but for another person like what was that like it made the this movie one of the most complicated post-production films I think the world has ever seen because we had to we had like eight different workflows we had animation workflows we had you know and also we didn't make that easy for ourselves either we decided to use Unreal Engine so we basically created a video game in order to record the scenes so it was working with so many new technologies you know using deepfake technology um etc um, so it was really complex, but it felt like so essential that like any intimate imagery of women or of anyone in the film was there with people's consent. So we had to go through those like layers of consent and anonymity. So, you know, every um, image that you see is either like one of us, one of our friends, you know, people that have like generously given their image to be used in that in that context um, so that we could replicate like exactly what we were seeing on these 4chan threads, but without harming or re-traumatizing anyone. Because the worst thing for us would be imagine if somebody sees their own image in in the film like that is we could not have that on our conscience um but the decision to deepfake taylor was so you know that was our first idea in coming to this project we thought that we saw the potential that this technology has to protect sources in documentary because what you're seeing is taylor's real footage and taylor's real movements her facial expressions her tears her laughter her eyebrow twitching all of that that you see is really her but the technology allows us to map another face on top another facial features on top of that so what you get with deep fakes is this this kind of real intimacy with the essence and the spirit of taylor but whilst still keeping her anonymous that's yeah see that that's so crazy because like when i realized i'm like how much time did it take to kind of go through all the the entire process to do this for multiple characters too, right? That was really mind-blowing to me. So now the other question is, so you tie a YouTuber story into this, right? How did that come about and what was what aspects of that, I guess, were kind of from later on in the process versus like from the beginning? I mean, it's kind of a, that's a really bizarre one. We'd been working on a on an impact campaign from, you know, before we even started recording with Taylor, where we would, uh, we were re- speaking to survivors of intimate image abuse, collecting their t- testimony, um, connecting with journalists so they can share their story and also sort of giving this like bank of testimony to different research bodies. And in that process, we'd already spoken to GB. So we had a pre-existing relationship with GB, but then that all sort of got put to bed uh for well that got put on hold while we during the main production process we hadn't been in contact with gb for ages and the story sort of unfolds and they discover that this person i don't want to give too much away has made uh that they that has made deep fakes of them but they're also a deep fake a deep faker of asmr artists but not just all any asmr artists in particular gb is his like main target he's made like tens of videos of gb so yeah taylor uh taylor sort of uncovers who who created these deep fakes and then sort of finds out that he's this massive deep faker of celebrities in particular asmr artists and in particular gb um and so it was very easy for us to connect taylor and gb taylor was very was interested in sort of speaking to her and, and sharing what she'd found all of this evidence she'd found um and so it was a great 
turn in the story that was really easy for us to sort of facilitate um, because we already had GB's email address. So I guess the other part of this was, and I didn't, it, there wasn't on a lot of this in, in the documentary and I'm sure timeline wise, but what did you find with AI and kind of how that's changed the way that all of this was done? Did you use it for the make, like for kind of the deep faking you did during the documentary? Did you kind of, was that something that you noticed uh, how much easier maybe it makes some of the stuff? hundred percent. So we saw that um, the technology when we started making the film was not advanced enough to do what we wanted, which was to create like a completely lifelike um, deep fake of somebody where you wouldn't be able to tell necessarily that, that the images have been altered. The technology, you know, it's kind of advancing um, at an insanely fast rate. So by the time we actually got to the deep faking phase of the filmmaking, which was right at the end, because you have to kind of picture lock before you can, um, you know, send the, the footage to be deep faked. Um, it was, you know, able to do what we wanted it to do. Um, and so obviously we've been involved in these conversations around AI. And one thing that I will say is that AI is a lot of different things. AI is a kind of, you know, they're, they're based on neural networks and it's a way of, um, you know, sorting information essentially um, in a really kind of complex and advanced way. But we use AI in algorithms for Spotify. We use AI in so many applications today. And not all of those applications are concerning in the way that the kind of public has got a bit of a moral panic around AI. And I think that like it is, there are parts of the AI applications right now that are really concerning and um, that um, that fear is justified. And there are some existential questions, but what we're doing is a very different thing to like a large language model, which scrapes information from like vast, vast data sets across the internet. What we're doing is we're bringing together two data sets of the person um, of Taylor and the face veil, the person that's generously you know, giving their image to protect Taylor's identity. And both women in those cases have given 100% consent to be used in that way. And the AI application can only do what we tell it to, which is to create the deep face of Taylor. So um, it feels, yeah, we're really passionate about making sure that the public understands more about AI so that we can separate out the things which actually we don't believe have massive ethical considerations and when consent for everybody is involved and there's no possible like unintended harms, you know, we don't see an ethical question there. However, we do need to have like serious questions around, you know, the use of um, actors likenesses without their consent when they're put into AI models, the use of, um, you know, large language models, the potential for like, you know, the most extreme version is like the kind of killer robot scenario, which I wish I could say is not legitimate, but like there are these crazy possible futures. Um, so yeah, we need to get what's going on so that we can separate out the things that we really should be afraid of. So I guess the last kind of question I have is obviously this, the documentary, and I think, you know, again, through my very, very like light research in this, but it seems like it's a much more of a problem facing women than it is men, uh, almost disproportionately so. Now you're going to have both women and men obviously watch this documentary. I'm assuming that's your hope. What do you hope that men specifically kind of take out of this documentary, take away from this documentary? I think it's really common for 
man, when you sort of describe the situation to to respond being like, well, what's the big deal? What's the problem? Uh, they often find it hard to imagine how this act can traumatize a person. I think that's in part because sort of sex is historically and continued to this day used as a mechanism for humiliating and shaming women in a way that it's not for 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 men. And particularly when you tie into the fact that this is not a physical uh, attack, it's, it's it's a virtual sort of like attack on someone. They find it hard to understand how how this really affects someone. And watching this film, I, I think and I hope that the film really clarifies just how the uh, deep fake harassment sort of can permeate a life and completely uh, upturn it, changing the way that you sort of perceive your social group, the way that you perceive your sort of potential career path, um, the way that you participate online, the way that you um, uh, feel even when you're just walking down the street alone, that you no longer can no longer feel safe. And that just because something is like, you know, a bunch of zeros and ones doesn't mean that it can't completely rupture the way uh, that you um, exist in the world. Yeah. I think the other thing we really want to target is the normalization of this practice and the fact that there is no accountability for anyone that does this. The fact that these communities have been allowed to grow and thrive and become commercially viable is just so unacceptable. And it sends this horrendous message that it's not important, that these women's lives are not important, that their agencies, the violation of their agency is not important. And I think that that's why we're really passionate about um, advocating for, you know, the most well-known people that are deep faked as well as the least well-known, because just because, you know, Emma Watson or Scarlett Johansson have had to, un have had to grow to, to learn how to cope with this. And that's just part of the job of being someone that's that high profile. Like that does not mean that it's not harmful. That does not mean that it's not creating this climate where, you know, many people think that it's acceptable to just share deep fakes, watch deep fakes. Um, and, and that is, yeah, it's just so, so damaging. So with that being said, and on that very happy note, uh, I want to thank you guys for taking the time to chat today. Uh, so where can people watch your documentary? You can watch Another Body in uh, theaters across across Canada, starting with Toronto on November 13th, the Ted Rogers Cinema there. Um, then we're going to be broadcast on CBC Gem at the end of November and will be available on Passionate Eye um, after that. So um, you can watch that in your homes or online. Um, I'm so excited for you all to see it. So um, thank and you very much. Can people find you on social media? Yeah, you can follow us on uh, social media at anotherbodyfilm.com. And also please do check out our um, website um, because that's got all the information. And also it will give information about the issue and our campaigning work with My Image, My Choice. Um, we've got petitions, we've got template emails that you can send to Google to tell them that they should absolutely be doing something about this and like other ways to kind of get involved and help support the movement um, and amplify survivor voices. And that's okay. at anotherbodyfilm.com. Yeah, and all this stuff will be in the description so everyone will be able to see it. But thank you guys so much again. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go before I get in trouble for keeping you for too long. <laughs> but I really did appreciate you guys coming on today. And, uh, and hopefully everyone does go check it out because it is a great documentary. And thank you guys. Bye. Thank you so much. It was great talking.